Good evening. It's Tuesday, October 24th. Welcome to a new episode of System Update, our live nightly show that airs every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, exclusively here on Rumble, the free speech alternative to YouTube. Tonight, in mid-2016, the Hillary Clinton campaign released its first campaign ad, complete with sinister music and shadowy images and a deep baritone voice full of innuendo explicitly stating that Donald Trump harbored disloyalties and a secret allegiance to Moscow. And I assumed, wrongly as it turns out, that most Americans would recoil from such a familiar and discredited script, copied as it so obviously was, from the most extreme witch hunts that came to define the the notorious McCarthy era. The same thing happened when Russia invaded Ukraine, and I assumed that Americans would instantly recognize that they were being subjected to the same template of war propaganda that has induced them to support so many wars over the last several decades, moralizing fairy tales about how the U.S. is merely a benevolent power, which, yet again, is involving itself in a war for purely selfless reasons, simply attempting to defend democracy from the dark, malevolent forces of despotism. That this was the same script that induced Americans to support the invasion of Iraq and that war advocates in the media insisted that the U.S. fights wars to spread democracy, even as our government openly funds and arms the world's most repressive tyrants from Saudi Arabia to Egypt meant, I assumed, that Americans would not fall this time for the same primitive and tawdry propaganda. But the reason I was wrong in both instances with my expectations is because I overestimated the extent to which we remember and take with us the lessons from history. The raw, visceral, and intense emotions that are triggered by every new war is no match for rationality-based attempts to point out that we are being subjected to the same exact scripts, often verbatim, often authored by the very same people who were selling those wars then who are selling the wars now. And I continue to be amazed, genuinely, at the extent to which the repressive and dissent-crushing climate of 2002 prevails now in the United States with regard to this new war in Israel and the attempt to ensure that the U.S. treats this war, this war of a foreign country, as our own. In many ways, the space for dissent, the tolerance for questions in the wake of the October 7th attack in Israel on a foreign country is even more rigid and more constrained than it was after the 2001 attack on our own country. Then, over the past two weeks, so many Americans have been fired or suffered other reprisals for views expressed on social media that run counter to the prevailing war orthodoxies. And by that, I don't even mean people fired for expressing support for Hamas, which, by the way, is protected speech, but rather people who were criticizing the Israeli government or its military response in Gaza and Joe Biden's support for it. Anyone watching what is happening would, as intended, be instinctively afraid to express any dissent for fear that they will have their head next on the pike. And the 2001 mimicking rhetoric and rationale invoked to justify what Israel is doing and to ensure that our own government be as involved as possible in Israel's war is coming so fast and furious that it is almost impossible to keep up. But given what is at stake in this new and horrifically brutal and very dangerous new war, we're going to try. When you gather in one place how many Americans have had their lives turned upside down and gotten fired for expressing dissent or liking posts on social media, and how similar are the arguments spewed by the more unified than ever political and media class at those raising objections or expressing dissent, it is genuinely astonishing.
Before we get to our new show, a few programming notes. First of all, we are encouraging our viewers to download the Rumble app, which works both on your smart TV and your telephone. And if you follow the programs that you like to watch on Rumble, which we hope includes System Update, and if you activate notifications, which we hope you will, it means that as soon as we start broadcasting live on the air, you will be immediately notified by email or by phone or by whatever method you choose, and you can just click on the link and start watching so you don't have to wait around and try and remember when we go live on air. You'll be instantly reminded. That really helps the Rumble app and our program because we want to build the live audience as much as possible. As another reminder, System Update is also available in podcast form where you can listen to each episode in podcast version 12 hours after their first broadcast live here on Rumble. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, and all other major podcasting platforms. And if you follow, rate, and review the show, it really helps spread the visibility of the program. Finally, given that tonight is Tuesday, we will, once we're done with our program here, move to our uh, after show, our live interactive after show on Locals, which is part of the Rumble community. We do that every Tuesday and Thursday night where we take your questions, respond to your feedback, hear your suggestions for future topics and guests. And that show, that after show, is available only for our subscribers to the Locals community. And if you want to become a subscriber, which also entitles you to access to the daily transcripts we post and original journalism that we publish there, as well as just supporting the independent journalism that we do here, you can click the Join button right below the video player on the Rumble page, and it will take you to that Locals community. For now, welcome to a new episode of System Update, starting right now. So I have to confess that there are a lot of topics that I wish we could cover besides the topic we've covered every day since October 9th, which was two days after the Hamas massacre in Israel, which is the ever-expanding war that Israel is waging in Gaza as a response to that massacre and what is now the increasing U.S. involvement in that war in all sorts of ways. Every day brings not just an escalation of the bombing campaign the Israelis are unleashing on Gaza, but also indications that the United States intends to be more and more involved in terms not only of providing the arms and the funding and the diplomatic cover for the Israelis, but deploying aircraft carriers explicitly as a threat to other regional actors like Hezbollah or Syria or Iran that might get involved in this war. So we're not only talking about the very real possibility of a regional war, but one that the United States is deliberately insinuating insinuating itself into. And yet one of the reasons why I have talked about it every day and likely will continue to talk about it with pretty uh, significant regularity is because it's hard to overstate the importance of it. Let's remember, because I think it has been forgotten, that the war on which we had focused so frequently for the last 18 months is one that hasn't gone anywhere. That's the war with the world's largest nuclear power, Russia, the proxy war that the United States has been waging for 18 months along with NATO and the EU by feeding hundreds of billions of dollars and massive amounts of munitions and arms into the coffers of Kiev, the most corrupt country in Europe, into the battalions that have long been legally prohibited and categorized as Nazi or extremist groups by the United States Congress and by the United States media. We're flooding that country with arms and weapons, and we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars, and we're on the other side of a war with 
a nuclear power that has made explicitly clear that they regard that war as an existential threat to their national security because of the fact that it's all taking place right on the other side of the border. In fact, the most sensitive part of their border, the part of their border that was used twice in the 20th century to destroy or come close to destroying the Russian population. And it's not just that there's a war being fought again in that part of the region. And in Ukraine, you also have the Germans, Germany, and very fanatical German leaders, including these uh, women who ran on a platform of a feminist foreign policy. I mentioned that they were women because that was the basis for their campaign, that we're going to bring in a feminist foreign policy, one that is much more geared toward peace and diplomatic resolutions than war. And yet, when you hear these German officials, the foreign minister and other officials, giving speech after speech, talking about the glories of war against Russia and the imperative of defeating Russia. It's not just German officials. It's also the president of the European Commission, who is one of the most fanatical politicians I've seen in some time. Just everything she says is extremist and just very visceral when she talks about war. Talk about a very dangerous conflict there, one that we've been warning about for a long time. And now that war hasn't gone anywhere. And you're putting on top of that war a totally new and different war and one that is at least as dangerous involving Muslims and Jews and the very lengthy and long religious and cultural tribal hatreds they have for one another now inflamed by extremely dangerous and modern weapons, including the nuclear arsenal that the Israelis have, and a new government in Israel that is much more extreme when it comes to the Palestinians than almost every government that preceded it in Israeli history, ones who make no secret of the fact that they believe there is no such thing as Palestine, that the West Bank and Gaza are theirs, are part of greater Israel. We had a member of the Israeli Knesset on our show just last week who described exactly that and the fact that they don't recognize or care about Western opinion. They don't recognize or care about the laws of war. They don't recognize or care about basic concepts of humanitarianism. Similar to the way Hamas does it and showed that they didn't when they entered Israel and massacred civilians in some of the most gruesome ways imaginable. And... The way in which we seem to have been jettisoned back to a time that I thought we had renounced, which was 2001 and 2002 and the days, weeks, and months following the 9-11 attack and the just utterly insane environment. Remember, we spent two and a half hours last Friday night on our show walking through what the climate was like, what the reaction was to the 9-11 attacks, the tyranny and transformation of our own government and the just unlimited violence and barbarism that it ushered in because we were acting with vengeance and a quest and a thirst for blood to avenge the attack that had been brought to our country. We spent $9 trillion on that 20-year war. It resulted in the direct deaths of 900,000 people and the deaths, indirect deaths through displacement and migration and food insecurities and lack of medicine of millions more. And it accomplished nothing. Joe Biden withdrew from Afghanistan, incinerated an innocent family of 12 people on his way out, lied about it, 
And then the Taliban waltzed right back in, just like it was September or August of 2001. So not only was it brutal and horrific and dangerous, but it accomplished nothing. In fact, the things that accomplished were quite negative. As I said, Tony Blair admitted, even though he has on his legacy the very first night of the invasion of Iraq, that it was the invasion of Iraq that led to the emergence of ISIS. There was no ISIS in 2001. There was no Al-Qaeda and ISIS in Syria until we brought all that instability to the region, left a power vacuum, and then under President Obama launched a CIA dirty war to try and remove Bashar al-Assad, and we fought alongside Al-Qaeda. And so I thought we had left behind 2002 and realized the mistakes that we made, not just in terms of the policy, but in terms of the climate, the utter disdain and intolerance for any dissent of any kind, any questioning of our war policy. I thought we had realized, I really had thought, we had realized, came to a consensus that it's extremely dangerous when you start equating dissent with treason and accusing people who are unwilling to get on board your war agenda of being on the other side, of being pro-terrorist, of being a traitor. We went through the litany so many times, pro-Saddam, pro-Taliban, pro-terrorist, pro-Al-Qaeda, pro-Assad, pro-Gaddafi, pro-Putin, and now we're pro-Hamas. And yet, you know, I have to say, it's in many cases the very same people who over the last three, four years have gone on the air on Fox News and other places and said, oh, I apologize for what I said during the post 9-11 era because I realized I was wrong, who are right back to the same exact rhetorical framework, just partying like it's 2002, often the same exact people. And we're going to get to in the second half of the show the fact that there are a gigantic number of Americans, ordinary Americans who are being fired who have lost their jobs as a result of a very concerted campaign to go on a hunt for people who are, dissent, who are dissenting from the prevailing orthodoxy, that Israel is in the right, everything Israel does is completely justifiable. It doesn't matter how many people Israel kills in Gaza, innocent children and women and men, because we're just going to say it's all Hamas's fault. They use everyone as human shields. We wipe, wipe our hands of all responsibility. Even though it's our bombs and our military and our money, meaning we, the United States, feeding the constant killing of people in Gaza, the cutting off of their food and water and medicine, that somehow, because we have this framework in place that puts it all on Hamas, everything the Israelis do is justified. And anybody who thinks otherwise, anybody who asks questions about why we're treating this war on our, as our own, immediately gets branded as pro-Hamas. Just like people who ask questions after the war on terror got treated as branded as pro-Al-Qaeda. And I don't think we realize how common it is now for Americans to be fired for expressing dissent on social media or elsewhere. Nobody's being fired, by the way, for cheering for or supporting the Israelis. That you're allowed to do in full. I showed you videos of pro-Israel protests where some of the most psychopathic Things you've ever heard said were said. People saying, I want Gaza gone, off the map. I want it flattened. I want it obliterated. Kill them all. Turn it into a parking lot. None of them lost their jobs. The only people who are losing their jobs are the people who are dissenting from the Israeli 
and ultimately the American position, I have to say, I've watched over the last seven years since Trump was elected president, conservatives talking about the United States in the most extremely critical ways. That our government is tyrannical and despotic, that the deep state is evil, the press are the enemy of the people, talking about the United States in the most vitriolic ways. Many of those views I share and express myself. But it seems like the rule is that you're allowed to bash and express contempt for the United States and its government with no limits at all as an American citizen, but what you can't do is criticize Israel. It's this bizarre paradox. And in fact, so constrained is American discourse over Israel that every time I go and read a, a, a site from an Israeli media outlet, I see way more dissent than is permitted here. Half the op-eds that I read in Israeli media would never see the light of day in a major American media outlet. And if it did, the editors who published it would be fired and the paper the next day would apologize in some sort of struggle session, the likes of which we're seeing all the time. So speaking of people who seem to have been dredged up from the bowels of 2002, the longtime neocon Senator Joe Lieberman, who was a longtime Democratic senator from, from Connecticut until the left organized and supported a primary challenge against him in 2006 due to his support for the war in Iraq and the broader war on terror. And they succeeded, the left did, in defeating him in the Democratic primary. And instead, he ran as an independent and won and continued in the Senate. He, of course, also is known as the running mate for Al Gore in 2000. Joe Lieberman was one of the most neoconservative warmongers in history. He made an appearance today on Fox News and did something that many Republican Leaders have done as well, like Lindsey Graham and Nikki Haley and uh, Marco Rubio, called for the, not Israel, but for the United States in response to the attack on Israel by Hamas to go start a new war with Iran. Here's what he said. What I'm saying, in short, is that we can't let the commanders of all this death, uh, anti-American action in um, the Middle East to, to, to feel like they're in some safe sanctuary in Iran. It's time for the U.S. military to strike IRGC uh, facilities, missile factories, drone factories in Iran and let them know that we know that uh, the, the Iranians are behind this and we're not going to let them get away with it anymore. Why would the United States military, someone please explain to me, please, why would the United States military go and strike Iran, even if Iran was behind this attack on Israel. And again, the news reports that tried to link Iran to the October 7th attack on Israel were as flimsy and pitiful as the similar attempts by exactly the same people, including Joe Lieberman, to try and link Iraq to the 9-11 attack. Even the Israeli and U.S. governments came out and denied this. But let's say it's true. Let's say Iran participated in some significant way in the attack on Israel. Why would the United States go and start a war with Iran? Because they did something against Israel. I know it's hard to remember, it's hard to keep in mind, because the premise of so much of our discourse 
denies this, but Israel actually is a foreign country. It is not the 51st state of the United States. It is not the job of the United States government to go fight Israel's wars for it. And there were a lot of neocons and militarists of all kinds who tried to seize on the 9-11 attack to get, Israel, to be, get the United States to go and fight a bunch of enemies of, of Israel in the Middle East. Not only with that motive, there were other people who wanted to go do that because they just wanted, they like war because they wanted to exert power in the Middle East. But clearly that was some of it. And Joe Lieberman can go on, it was not Fox News, it's Fox Business. And you heard him just say, we think Iran is responsible for the attack on Israel and therefore the United States troops, soldiers of the United States military that needless to say have never included Joe Lieberman or anyone in his family should go risk their lives to start a new war with Iran in order to avenge or punish Iran for attacking Israel, a foreign country. Why doesn't Israel go do that? Why does the United States need to go and start a war with Iran? Let's listen to the rest. Action in so, so just to be clear, you think that the U.S. should strike Iran right now? I do, because none of this, Hamas would not be Hamas without uh, Iran's support. Uh, they're, they're, a, they're a terrorist agent of Iran, which calls yeah. us still the great Satan and Israel uh, the little Satan. And this- oh, my God, they call us the great Satan. Do you know why they called the United States the Great Satan? Because in 1954, the United States with the CIA overthrew their democratically elected government and replaced that democratically elected government with one of the worst and most savage despots ever to walk the face of the earth, which was the Shah of Iran. And he ruled over Iran with barbarism and savagery for the next 25 years until 1979 when the Islamic Revolution happened in Iran and brought us the current day government. So let me ask you something. If you live in a country under despotic rule, where you used to have a democracy, but now you live under a tyrant, a brutal tyrant, and there was some other foreign country responsible for that, that destroyed your democracy and that it replaced that democracy with that Tyrant who would go to Washington and be feted. To this day, people love the Shah of Iran. Want his son to take over Iran again. And you knew this other government was responsible. Would you also be angry at that other government? Would you call them the great Satan? And is it a good cause for war to go attack Iran because they call us names? Especially given the reasons that they do it? But... It's just unbelievable how there's no question ever to Joe Lieberman, like, why would the United States go and start this war over with Israel, given that they didn't attack the United States? Same is true of Hezbollah, the Houthis in Yemen, all the rest. And they're getting away literally with murder, including murder of Americans. Unless we make them pay for this soon, now, they will kill some American military personnel uh, in Iraq. Oh, well, maybe we should wait for that then, rather than, like, pretending that there's this future scenario where they do. And also, why are there American troops in their region? Why are there American troops even to go, for them to go kill? 
But he mentioned the Houthis in Yemen. The United States under President Obama fed the Saudis enormous amounts of weaponry that they used to bomb Yemen for years and brought Yemen to the brink of one of the worst famines in modern history. Millions of children and innocent people on the brink of famine dying all the time from hunger. Mass famine in the 21st century because of that war we supported. Do you see how many wars we, we, we participate in, how many wars we're fueling? Because these same people feed you the same scripts over and over. I know I've been walking cautiously around this issue since the war began because the Hamas massacre was, I knew, something that provoked a lot of emotions. It did in me as well, as I said. But the time for caution is over. These people are maniacs. They're psychopaths. And they're going to get us involved in a second war that is unbelievably dangerous for reasons having nothing to do with American interest and the interests of the United States and the American people. Nothing. And uh, it's nothing new for them. The, uh, the, uh, this Iranian government has the blood of Americans on their hands through their terrorist proxies and directly going back uh, decades. And, it, and it's time to just acknowledge uh, the, the uh, Islamic Republic of Iran is our enemy. You can't trust them. You can't assume that we're going to make them friends. You can't make deals with them. We have to hit them hard or they will continue to cause uh, death and destruction for us and our allies like Israel and our allies in the Arab world like Saudi Arabia. All right, so in case you were wondering where Joe Lieberman, he was, he was kept in some crypt, enriching himself with his political influence. They dragged him out in order to say that it's time for the United States to go not just attack Iran, but hit them hard, start a major war. And by the way, you think Iran, if we bombed Iran, is going to crawl away? They're just going to like be like, oh my God, we got bombed. I, just, I guess it's time for us to go away. Iran is a sophisticated country. It's a powerful country. It's three times the size of Iraq. Remember what Iraq was able to do to the United States military when we went there, just like the Afghan military. Just like Israel is going to confront it when they try and go into Gaza. And someone who comes on television and just so casually from the comfort of their own home says, yeah, it's time to go hit them hard, hit Iran and hit them hard, is a maniac. He's in his late 70s or whatever he is. He doesn't care about the consequences of what he's urging. And... What he cares about is avenging the attack on Israel, and he wants to use the United States and its resources and the men and women who joined our armed forces thinking they were defending the United States. He wants to sacrifice other people and other families' children to go fight this war in Iran, to start a war with Iran. Let's now look at some more 2002-style rhetoric. This is Judge Janine. Uh, this was on October 21st. There you see the graphic on screen, the squad raging against Israel and Biden. I know Fox News, it hurts them to have to admit that Joe Biden is at least as pro-Israel as any American political leader. I've showed you the videos before where Joe Biden is saying, I'm tired of those criticizing our support for Israel. Israel is the best investment we've ever made. It's the best $5 billion a year we ever made. If there wasn't Israel, we'd have to invent an Israel. 
Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, for the most part, with the exception of like two or three people in the Democratic Party, are vehement supporters of Israel. And by the way, when we get to the segment about people being fired, I just want to say this to about 2001. After 9-11, there was a gigantic rallying around the flag reaction on the part of Americans. Unlike what's happening in Israel, Israelis support the war, but they hate Netanyahu. They want him gone. In the United States, Americans embrace George Bush. They march behind George Bush. His approval rating skyrocketed to 80 and 85 and even 90 percent. Americans overwhelmingly were on board with the war on terror and both political parties. Remember, the Patriot Act passed with one vote no from Ross Feingold. The authorization to use military force in Afghanistan passed with one no vote, which was Barbara Lee, the Democrat of, of California. And yet Fox News and the media generally went on a witch hunt. They were fixated on, oh my God, this columnist for this local newspaper wrote an article blaming the United States and suggesting we played a role in provoking this violence. Let's get them fired. They, they, they were obsessed with anyone uttering a peak of dissent. It wasn't enough for them that they had the entire country and every institution of power united on their side. They, they wanted to crush every last pocket of dissent, even though these people were speaking with very little power. And they got people fired and they would put them on television every night. They couldn't stand it. And it's the same thing now. If a vote on Israel comes up in the United States Congress, it will pass by 98 to 1. Maybe Rand Paul, on principle, a foreign aid will vote against it. It will pass in the House by 409 to 13. It will overwhelmingly pass. And yet, they can't see that there's some students at Penn or Harvard or an assistant professor here or a DSA group there that is expressing dissent. They want them fired. They want their heads on a pike. It has to be 100%. Here, let's listen to her. I actually, actually haven't listened to this yet. This was a, a late-minute edition by my team, so I'm sure I'm going to be pleasantly surprised with what I'm about to hear. The idea that Israel uh, flew the, the, the rocket or the missile into that hospital has been debunked. I mean, we've got visual, we've got audio, we've got communications between Hamas leaders. Uh, it clearly was not Israel. And the squad calling for a ceasefire um, and continually railing against Israel, to me, makes them complicit with Hamas. Israel has the right to defend her. Okay. First of all, the squad, that's six people, grand total of six people out of 535 in the Congress. So you're talking about about 1% of the Congress. And in fact, it's not the entire squad. Jamal Bowen is, Bowman is very much on Israel's side. You maybe can count Ilhan Omar and Corey Bush and Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib. So four people, go ahead and make it six or seven if you want. Everybody else is on her side. Everybody else is pro-Israel, wants to keep funding Israel. The $4 billion a year they get every year, they want to give them another $10 billion now. And she's fixated on the four people who aren't on board. And of course, it's not enough to say that they're wrong. She has to say that they, she has to link them to Hamas. 
If you look at what's happening in Gaza and you believe that the suffering of Palestinian civilians is so extreme that it's a humanitarian crisis and that it is not justifiable to continue to make those people live in a living hell on earth with no food. There, there are surgeons in Gaza now operating on children with no anesthesia, anesthesia, no medication, no painkillers. There are premature babies on incubators that are about to die and have those incubators turned off because they don't have fuel to continue to sustain them. If you look at that and you say, you know what, this is over the line of what human beings should tolerate in terms of how innocent people are being treated, it's fine to say that they're wrong. But to accuse them of being pro-Hamas because of that is reprehensible. It is despicable. It is a disgusting slander. And it is exactly what was done after 2001. Every single person, Noam Chomsky here, Susan Sontag here, some professor over here, oh, they're on the side of Al-Qaeda. They, they don't want to go to Afghanistan and fight a 20-year war. Let's listen to the rest of this. I'm not sure how much I can endure of her. Self, Israel was attacked. Children went to sleep in their own beds to become victims of unspeakable torture and abuse and violence and, and massacre. It was Palestine who voted Hamas into power in 2007 when it Okay. That argument, we did a whole show on how that was Osama bin Laden's argument for justifying attacks on American civilians. Imagine, if I were Janine Pirro, she's the last person who would want that, should want that theory accepted. That if you support a government that brings violence to the world, you are now a legitimate military target. That would mean that when Janine Pirro is leaving work and someone from Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria or Libya or the West Bank or Gaza sees her, based on her theory, they should be able to kill her because she's a legitimate military target by virtue of the fact that she supports governments, not just governments that bring war to other countries, but she supports the wars themselves. She supports the bombing of Iraq and Afghanistan. So by her definition, she's a military target because she is no longer a civilian since she supports the violence. This is such a grotesque lie that the people of Gaza support Hamas because they elected them. The last election was 2007. 2007. That is 17 years ago or 16 years ago. The vast majority of the population currently living in Gaza either wasn't alive during that moment or was way too young to vote. And this conflation of people who are Palestinian with Hamas after spending two weeks now saying Hamas is worse than ISIS, Hamas is the new Hitler, everyone's always the new Hitler, is obviously designed to suggest that everybody in Palestine, Palestinians, are also worse than ISIS and therefore have no value to their lives. Israel said, we're done, you can have Gaza, and they voted for Hamas, and Hamas charter is to massacre all the Jews. All right, let's stop playing, you know, pussyfoot around here. Yeah. They can talk about anything they want. How many more do you want to die? Well, maybe you ought to start with the fact that the Israelis were living uh, a peaceful existence there, allowing 20,000 Palestinians to come through their border every day to work and make a living and go back to Gaza, that the Israelis are the one who are providing water. Why is this something that, you know, I have to say, like as somebody who pays attention to all of these things from my work and from my, 
my passion. I don't really think, I honestly believe this, that I don't think there's any other issue that provokes the level of emotion in the American political and media class the way Israel does. The United States government is currently involved in its own war in Ukraine. I don't see anywhere near the level of emotion about that or about any of the other American problems. But when Israel comes up, they can't control themselves and the rhetoric that they, I mean, these, this is really psychopathic what these people are saying. I'm sorry, it just is. They, have, they assign zero life, zero value to Palestinian lives, zero and electricity when Gaza could have been, as they said, the Singapore of the of the Middle East. Okay, I've had enough of her. Let's listen to this uh, discussion here. There you see again the headline: "The Squad is spewing more anti-Israel rhetoric." Again, the Squad. You have to go to the Squad to find this because the entire American Congress is on Israel's side. And you know what? You're allowed to spew anti-Israel rhetoric. You're allowed to spew anti-American rhetoric. You're allowed to criticize the United States government. Fox News does it all the time. Fox News has uh, discussions all the time that talk about Joe Biden as a domestic enemy, that talk about the FBI and the CIA that way, that talk about the American media that way. That's all permissible. What you can't do is talk about Israel that way. Not worth our time. So, Jesse, you can argue that a series of ceasefires over the past two decades have led to what happened on October 7th, this idea that you can do a ceasefire, which is not a treaty or a peace agreement, and you can just manage this terrorist group that says they want to kill all the Jews on the planet, but really they don't mean it that much. Yeah, a ceasefire is not an effective terror strategy. And it might sound good to the peacenik wing or the anti-Semitic wing, but you can't win the war on terror. You know what? I've been on Jesse Waters' show many times. And as a result, I've heard Jesse Waters' show. And the general reflex when it comes to allegations of bigotry, people accused of race, being racist, people accused of being white supremacist, people accused of being white nationalist, misogynistic, transphobic, is to mock it, to say like, oh, the left calls everybody a bigot, the left calls everybody a racist, the left calls everybody misogynistic and transphobic, it's their way of shutting down debate and ruining reputations, and often that's true, that is what the left likes to do, uh, the, left, the liberal left. And yet, when it comes to this issue, that's all they do. They accuse everybody who disagrees with them of being an anti-Semitic. You're not really motivated by disgust at seeing the extinguishing of Palestinian lives. No, you're anti-Semitic. You're not really worried about the United States being involved in a new war. No, you hate Jews. It's the same exact tactic. Just labeling everybody a bigot and an anti-Semite as a way of making it impossible to criticize Israel or to question Israel because that label will be pinned on your forehead including if you're an obscure worker, you're a professor. It's just what the liberal media does. The liberal media finds people who post pro-Trump content on social media. They drag them out of obscurity. They put a white nationalist or racist label on their forehead or transphobic label on their forehead, and they get them fired. That's what this is. With ceasefires, and they know that, they're just appealing to the fringe. And they took direct threats at their president. They said that they're not going to vote for the top of the ticket. 
They named swing states. They named Pennsylvania. They named Georgia. They named Michigan. You say it's a sideshow. This is a loud sideshow. Okay, you know what? That's called exercising your right as an American citizen. If the government is doing something you dislike, if they're pursuing a policy you regard as immoral, the way that you peacefully protest is by standing up and saying, if you continue with this policy, I'm not going to support you. It's not a terrorist threat. It's, a, it's exactly what we want people to do when they dissent from the government. And if this is just fringe politics, if they're only appealing to the fringe, why are they spending so much time on it? Why are they so angry about it? And this sideshow could have legs, Jessica. These are people that are appealing to a younger demographic that have been brought out of the woodwork. You've seen the crowds. These are not small gatherings. This was not a small gathering. The ones Johnny's at a gathering downtown right now. You're underestimating the visceral hatred that they're tapping into here. And Omar seems angry at Jewish people more than she's angry at Hamas. That is repulsive. I'm sorry. That is repulsive. I wish Jesse Waters would have me on his show. I don't think they will. Um, Because I would like to be able to say this and have this conversation with him instead of talking about him. And I don't, you know, want to talk about people when they're not here. But this is what's going on in the airwaves. And to claim that somebody... Ilhan Omar, whatever you think of her, she's a United States citizen. She's an elected member of Congress. She has every right to question whether her government should be involved in a new war. And to claim that she's motivated by a hatred of Jews when she's obviously emotionally uh, reacting to seeing huge numbers of Palestinian children dying, just like people were emotionally reacting to seeing huge numbers of Jewish civilians dying on October 7th doesn't mean that the people reacting to the Israeli attack hate Palestinians. They were upset by what they were seeing that was done to civilians. So is she. Let's look at one more Jesse Waters clip uh, because this is probably the most extreme thing I've heard on TV in a while. Uh, I don't think we can have a Palestinian state at this point. I've had it with the Palestinians. I've given up on the Palestinians. If I was in Israel, I wouldn't be talking about a Palestinian state right now. I don't think Joe Biden should be talking about a Palestinian state right now. And I don't like how people tried to differentiate between the Palestinians and Hamas. To me, I see people with guns. That's Hamas. The people without the guns are the Palestinians. They believe the same thing. The Palestinians hire Hamas to run their government. You pull them. They all love killing Jews. It's in their charter. They... Okay, I already addressed the argument about how Palestinians voted for Hamas. By the way, Palestinians, just for people who don't know this, which seems to include some of the people speaking here, are not only people in the West in, the, in Gaza, they're also the people in the West Bank. Those are also called Palestinians. They're not represented by Hamas. They didn't elect Hamas. And yet they're being killed in large numbers as well and have been for many years now, including by settlers. But... If you go on air and you say over and over that, I, that Hamas is worse than ISIS, that Hamas are Nazis, that Hamas doesn't deserve to live, that they're subhumans, and then you say there's no difference between Palestinian civilians and Hamas, you're obviously saying that all Palestinians are subhuman animals who don't deserve to live. That is the message here. And then to turn around and say Ilhan Omar is motivated by hatred... 
I don't know whether Jesse Waters intends it or not, but the, the only implication of what he said here is that the lives of Palestinians have no value. They all deserve to die. There's no distinction between them and Hamas. They say they believe in suicide bombings. Every time a Palestinian refugee goes to another country, it doesn't work out so well for the other country and for those Palestinians. No one wants them. You don't see Egypt opening up their doors. You don't see Jordan opening up. You don't see the Saudis. Why don't they want the Palestinians, Dana? I think we all know why they don't want the Palestinians, and it's not working out having these Palestinians and Hamas right next door to the Israelis. So time is running out for Netanyahu. I don't know why they're taking so long with this ground offensive. I would have struck, obviously, I have no military experience, <laughs> yeah. but I'm talking about there's a certain amount of goodwill that's built up. There's a certain amount of political capital that the West will allow Netanyahu in the wake of this horrific attack. Every day that goes by and they don't move in on the ground and root out these terrorists and their little labyrinth under and, and the command and control, the decapitation strikes, it's another day where the United Nations, where the Arab League... And some of these skittish uh, American politicians are going to say, you know what, let's have a ceasefire. Let's, let's just wait. Yeah, a little bit. people are a little bit skittish over the inevitability of killing uh, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, maybe 100,000 Palestinians. People are a little bit skittish about that. It's called being human, being a decent, compassionate human being. And this was what was on the airwaves in October, November, December 2001, all throughout 2002 and into 2003. Constant dehumanization of the people we were going to bomb and a constant attempt to slander and destroy the reputations of anybody who dissented on the grounds that they were pro-terrorist on the other side. And we're going to show you in the next segment what the implications are, which is an unprecedented number of Americans losing their job for expressing their free speech rights, for exercising their free speech rights and expressing dissent to the war policies of their government. We will be right back after this word from our sponsor and we'll go over that. everyone, as most of you know, System Update is a part of independent media, which means we chose not to connect ourselves to any corporation or be part of any corporate structure that can control our editorial output. And what that means is independence is we need ways to support the program. One way is we rely on our viewers to become members of our locals community, but another way is through sponsors. And I've been, I've been very lucky because I was able to negotiate that the only sponsors I will ever have for the show are ones who really want to support our program and be a part of it. And that is true for Field of Greens, which is our first sponsor, but also a product that really does align with my actual values, the way I live my life, so that when I look in front of the camera and talk about it, I never feel like a mercenary, meaning someone talking about a product because I'm paid to. I would only allow endorsements and sponsors of products that I take and that I take because it really does align with the way I live my life. 
life. And that is true of Field of Greens, which is a fruit and vegetable supplement. I'm a vegan, so fruit and vegetables are crucial to my diet, but it's crucial for the health of everybody, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, or a consumer of meat. And what distinguishes it from other supplements with fruit and vegetables is they've very carefully selected over the course of many months with medical consultation, they gave me the full long explanation that each fruit and vegetable is specifically selected to target and strengthen a specific part of your biological system, your cardiovascular health, your liver and kidney functioning, your immune system, your metabolism. That's the reason I take it is to stay healthy in those specific ways and healthy overall. And what I really like about it is it works fast. I'm not a very patient person. If you're like me, you don't want to take a product that has benefits 12 months from now. Right away, you will feel healthier. You'll have more energy. It'll be visible. People will comment that your skin and hair look healthier. And it can also help you lose weight if that's one of your goals. And the thing that impresses me the most in terms of the product's integrity and why I feel comfortable is they give this better health promise, which is you take Field of Greens, not for very long. If you go to your next doctor visit and your doctor doesn't say something like, wow, whatever you're doing, keep it up, or your friends don't say, you look much better, you can return it for a refund. That is product integrity. I was able to negotiate as part of the sponsorship to help you get started that if you order your first order, you get 15% off, another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. And obviously, patronizing any of our sponsors helps our show, especially if you use the promo code we've arranged, which is to visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code Glenn. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code Glenn. I would not endorse any product I don't feel good about, and that is absolutely true for Field of Greens our first sponsor. So during the break, I had the opportunity to look in the live chat, and I noticed that there was a huge amount of praise being heaped upon my dogs and their appearance and performance as part of that commercial. And I noticed that the praise seems to be much more effusive for them than for me and for our show, which is why they say never work with dogs. But I did catch you. I noticed what you were doing uh, during the break. You have to remember we live in a surveillance state and you're always being watched. Now, let's look at the implications of everything that we just went over. The It's one thing to say, well, dissent is being stigmatized. It's fine. People who dissent can be criticized like anybody else can. And I don't think it's a secret that over the past six years or so, I have found myself more in alignment with people who are on the right, primarily kind of the populist right, the anti-intervention right, more of the populist wing that uh, identifies with Donald Trump more so than, say, the establishment wing of the Republican Party, with whom I have the same degree of animus as I always had. But one of the reasons, among several, that I found myself in alignment with the right is because there has been a lot more opposition to the trend of censorship on the right than there is on the left. Some people on the left are supportive of free speech, but overwhelmingly the Democratic Party has systematically attempted to censor the internet and to use censorship as a weapon. We've been over that many times, including last night. And the American right has been far more supportive of free speech as polling data shows, but also the general culture of suggesting that if you have a view that runs afoul of orthodoxy in Washington or in power centers, that you shouldn't just be criticized, but you should have your life destroyed and you should be fired. It's called cancel culture or whatever people want to call it. It's just a general 
notion that our society is healthier when dissent is tolerated and permitted and people aren't having their lives ruined for expressing it. And that's something that I have been aligned with a lot of people on the right in defense of those values, not just in defense of the constitutional right, but in defense of the value of free dissent and free inquiry. And that's why I've been so disturbed over the past two weeks to watch the minute the topic is Israel, many people on the right, by no means all, have completely abandoned every principle they've ever claimed to believe in. And I've watched people on the right who built their careers claiming to be a defendant of free discourse and free speech and the idea that you have to hear views even when they make you uncomfortable, turn around and start to sound exactly like the people on the left, the liberal left, that they love to mock. There was a video of a college student we showed you, a, a Jewish student at the University of Washington, who was weeping and begging a school administrator to shut down a pro-Palatinian protest that was happening right behind her. It was totally peaceful. But she was saying that the views expressed at this protest were making her feel unsafe, and she was crying and weeping. And if she had been a trans person, or if she had been a black person, or she had been any other minority... The internet would have united, especially on the right, to viciously mock and deride her. But instead, because she was a Jewish person claiming to be uncomfortable by pro-Palestinian protest, she was applauded for demanding that a protest be canceled so that she's no longer unsafe. This is the thing that they've been laughing at for years, that they're now part of and advocating. And it's the number of people who have been fired over the last two weeks since the war began, I didn't realize it until I compiled them, is genuinely shocking. Now, here, first of all, is uh, the person who kicked all this off, which is a billionaire hedge fund manager, Bill Ackman, who decided to use his billions of dollars to set a public limit on what people were and were not allowed to say if they wanted to be hired. And he published this tweet, quote, I have been asked by a number of CEOs if Harvard would release a list of members of each of the Harvard organizations that have issued the letter assigning sole responsibility for Hamas's heinous acts to Israel so as to ensure that none of us inadvertently hire any of their members. If, in fact, their members support the letter they have released, the names of the signatories should be made public so their views are publicly known. One should not be able to hide behind a corporate shield when issuing statements supporting the actions of terrorists who we now learn have beheaded babies, among other inconceivably despicable acts. I don't want to get into a debate about whether that was a lie, that babies were being beheaded, because I don't think these debates are helpful. We know for sure that Hamas committed atrocities on October 7th. And we know that Israel is committing mass slaughter in Gaza over the last two weeks and will continue into the future. So bickering over a particular incident often is a besides the point. So let's leave that to the side. This was an, a billionaire. And by the way, this list that he demanded ended up getting generated. And notice that they weren't supporting Hamas. They were saying, like a lot of people said after 9-11, that the reason Israel was attacked was because... They've been occupying Palestinian territory and blockading Gaza for decades. Now, I don't think that justifies it, as I made extremely clear many times. An attack that targets civilians, kidnapping and massacring them. That has to be a line that we draw. But 
they have the right to express that view. That view is a view that is within the realm of what can be debated, namely whether or not, as is true, say, for a terrorist attack that the United States suffers, whether they've done anything to provoke it, whether the Russian invasion of Ukraine was something that just happened out of the blue when Ukraine was minding its own business or whether that was provoked. These are debates that you're allowed to have. These are geopolitical debates about whether a certain group of people is actually being oppressed. And yet, from the beginning of this war, this climate was created, led by billionaires, that if you at all criticize Israel or suggest that in any way they bear blame in this conflict, you're going to be unhirable. If that's not cancel culture, I don't know what is. Now, Bill Ackman, as is usually the case because he's a billionaire, got his way. Here from the New York Times, October 18th, after writing an anti-Israel letter, the Harvard students are doxxed. Quote, a truck with a billboard displayed their names and photos, and critics put out do not hire lists. The students say it's a campaign to shut them up. Oh, do you think? A coalition of more than 30 student groups posted an open letter on the night of the Hamas attack saying that Israel was, quote, entirely responsible for the violence that ended up killing more than 1,400 people, most of them civilians. But within days, students affiliated with those groups were being doxxed. Their personal information posted online. Siblings back home were threatened. Wall Street executives demanded a list of student names to ban their hiring. And a truck with a digital billboard paid for by a conservative group circled Harvard Square, flashing student photos and names under the headline, quote, Harvard's leading anti-Semites. At the University of Pennsylvania, donors are pushing for the resignation of the president and the board, of, and the board chairman after a Palestinian writers conference on campus invited speakers accused of anti-Semitism. Students' names are also exposed last week through a website featuring a, quote, college terrorist, a helpful guide for employers, compiled by Maxwell Meyer, a 2022 Stanford graduate. Now, if you want to say that there's something wrong with a statement that in the wake of a terrorist attack that traumatizes Israelis and Jews around the world, to say that Israel is to blame, that it's bad timing, that it's insensitive, or even that it's wrong, have at it. But to say that college students should have their lives ruined for criticizing a foreign country and pointing out the context to this terrorist attack, that there's this ongoing dispute between the Palestinians and the Israelis going back many decades, if, if, I don't see how you can support that and then turn around and say that you are an opponent of cancel culture. Remember, I've seen a lot of people on the right trying to mock and minimize and create a caricature of what the left tries to stigmatize. Oh, they're just trying to destroy people for using the wrong pronoun, but we're trying to destroy people's lives and get them fired because they're supporting a terrorist organization. It exaggerates completely what the students did. They didn't support Hamas. They criticized Israel. Those are different things. But more to the point, the left also believes that they're trying to stigmatize speech that is racist and white nationalist and transphobic that endangers people. We have to have a principle. The principle can't be it's outrageous to have people fired when they express views that I agree with, but it's morally noble to do a firing campaign and a blacklist campaign when they express views that I don't. Now, Barry Weiss has become one of the people most influential and prominent, unsurprisingly, in the wake of this war in Israel. It's one of her driving passions and always has been. 
But she also, when she left the New York Times, became a symbol. She built her career on the virtues of free discourse. She called it illiberalism when you try and get people fired for the views that they have. Remember, one of the controversies was that the New York Times editors who allowed Tom Cotton to publish an op-ed got fired because in the view of of liberals, that op-ed was encouraging racist violence against protesters by calling for the military to come and smash them. And they said, this makes black people in danger. Remember all those New York Times uh, employees who are black would sign a, who posted a tweet saying, this op-ed puts me in danger. That was their view, is it puts black people in danger. And Barry Weiss said, this is illiberal. This is disgusting to try and get someone fired because they expressed a view on the grounds that it's racist. You should debate that out. No more debates now. Now that the issue is Israel, here's the free press, Barry Weiss's outlet. And again, it's called the free press because it was supposed to be about fostering open debate without punishing people for dissent. And the headline is, can a donor revolt save American universities? Remember, Dave Rubin, who also built his career on the virtues of a free debate, and I invited him on the show. He hasn't accepted yet. He hasn't found the time yet. But he also built his career on the virtues of free debate and not canceling people, sitting down with people that you disagree with. When he heard that France was banning all Palestinian protests, he said, pro-Palestinian protests, he said, oh, maybe the West can be saved after all. So according to Dave Rubin, the way to save the West is by having French officials ban pro-Palestinian protests. According to the free press, Barry Weiss's site, the way to save American universities is by having Jewish donors or donors who support Israel demand that students not be allowed to express criticism of Israel. Quote, after universities, both sides, the mass slaughter of Jews, Bill Ackman, John Huntsman, and others are saying the buck stops here. Here from NBC News on October 17, 2023, top law firm rescinds job offers to Ivy League students over Israel letters. Let's put that on the screen. There you see the news report. So you have a top law firm, Davis Polk, rescinding a job offer to, an Ivy, to all Ivy League students who signed letters critical of Israel. The, the firm, Davis Polk, said in an internal email to staff members that the letters don't represent the firm's values. The, uh, and that got celebrated as well. Oh, we're so happy these law firms are firing people who signed petitions defending Palestinians and criticizing Isra- uh, Israelis. Here... Uh, From The Intercept, on October 16th, pro-Palestine NYU law student speaks out after job offer was rescinded. With tensions exploding over Gaza on campuses across the country, NYU law student Rhina Workman lost their position as student body president and a job offer. I guess... It's uh, this person is a they, them, which is why that pronoun. Three days after Hamas's attack on Israel, New York University law student body president Rhina Workman sent a newsletter to classmates expressing, quote, unwavering and absolute solidarity with Palestinians and the resistance against oppression toward liberation and self-determination. Workman assigned the blame for, quote, this tremendous loss of life to Israel's apartheid regime over Palestinians while not mentioning Hamas, whose attack killed some 1,300 Israelis. Workman told the Intercept that the intention was an intra-community message that spoke to Israel's 75-year violent regime over Palestine and expressed support for Palestinians' basic human rights. 
Yet the newsletter drew widespread criticism for not directly condemning Hamas's killing of Israeli civilians, and the backlash was swift. Workman was outed as student body president, had a job offer rescinded by a firm they previously interned out, Winston and Strawn, and received a litany of threats online. So that's a different student who lost their job, her job, whatever, his, their job. And there you see it that what they did was, again, you don't have to, the point is not that these statements are noble or worthwhile. Maybe you think they are, maybe you think they're not. The point is to just observe how many people are losing their jobs for, uh, for expressing dissent over this war in Israel. Um, here, where do we have that? Here in Commentary Magazine um, is an article by Barry Weiss in 2021. This was, I think, before she started Free Press. And she says, we got here because of cowardice. We get out with courage. This is Barry Weiss diagnosing the problems of American political life, saying the problem is that we need courage to stand up for the right to dissent. Here's what she wrote. Let's... Uh, so the tools themselves are not just replaced but repudiated. And in so doing, persuasion, the purpose of argument, is replaced with public shaming. This is Barry Weiss saying that the problem is not allowing debates over controversial issues, but instead using public shaming in lieu of free debates. So the tools themselves are not just replaced but repudiated. In doing so, persuasion, the purpose of argument, is replaced with public shaming. Moral complexity is replaced with moral certainty. Facts are replaced with feelings. No considering people's feelings. It doesn't matter if minority groups feel threatened by a view. You've got to let that view be expressed, said Barry Weiss in 2021, the exact opposite of everything she's saying today because the issue is Israel. Ideals are replaced with identity. Forgiveness is replaced with punishment. Debate is replaced with deplatforming. Diversity is replaced with homogeneity of thought, inclusion with exclusion. I mean, this is unbelievable to read in light of what Barry Weiss is now saying, which is that American Jews feel threatened in America, the United States. They're the most marginalized group that exists. They're endangered by the ability of students to sign pro-Palestinian petitions, even though billionaires and both parties are on her side. The fact that there's a few people signing petitions at colleges means that Jews feel unsafe and therefore these people need to be fired. This was an article denouncing that, saying that the source of America's problems is that instead of ideas, we now focus on identity. Ideas are replaced with identity. Forgiveness is replaced with punishment. You know, like putting people on blacklist and making sure they're not hired. Debate is replaced with deplatforming. Diversity is replaced with homogeneity of thought, inclusion with exclusion. Is there anything Barry Weiss wants more right now and her allies than homogeneity of thought? And I've gotten to know Barry Weiss over the last few years. She's a very nice person. I know her wife. I know uh, her work. I've supported them and their work when I agree with them. So I'm not being personal here to Barry Weiss. It's just extraordinary to watch the person who built her entire media empire on denouncing cancel culture 
and the fact that instead of debating people and engaging with dissent, we fire people and scorn them. Spend the last two weeks leading the charge in getting people fired and having donors refuse to allow any dissent to be heard. Now, here is a, a tweet from someone named Michael Eisen, Michael Eisen um, and this is what he said, quote, I have been informed that I am being replaced as the editor-in-chief of eLife. Why? Why, was he, why is he being fired? Because he retweeted an Onion piece that calls out indifference for the lives of Palestinian civilians. So there was an article in The Onion that was objecting to or mocking what we just showed you, all those Fox clips of people being completely indifferent to Palestinian life. He retweeted that Onion piece, and as a result, he got fired as editor-in-chief of eLife. That was it. He just retweeted an Onion article. Is this something that Barry Weiss objects to? Where people, instead of debate, are facing recrimination and firing? Because it seems like this is the kind of environment that she and her allies have fostered on purpose now that the issue is Israel and not something else. Here is... Uh, the Guardian's 40-year columnist. He's been a columnist of The Guardian for 40 years. His name is... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, he's a cartoonist. The Guardian cartoonist of 40 years. His name is Steve... Uh, we'll get his name. I think it's Steve Beltoons. In any event, The Guardian fired him. And the reason was this cartoon that he published or submitted about Benjamin Netanyahu, where Benjamin Netanyahu is saying, residents of Gaza, get out now. Which, by the way, is exactly what the Israeli government's message to Gaza is. It's almost too literal to be a cartoon. That's exactly what Benjamin Netanyahu and the Netanyahu government has said to people in Gaza, get out now. Either get out and go to north, southern Gaza, because we're going to destroy northern Gaza, or go to Egypt so that we can take over Gaza. That's what the Israeli Knesset MP said was the actual goal of the Israeli government to drive Gazans out of Gaza into Sinai, keep them in refugee camps so that Israel could then rebuild Gaza and now occupy it the way that members of the Israeli government explicitly say they want to do. He wrote this cartoon. The cartoon was actually a reference to a classic cartoon that was published about LGBJ and the Vietnam War, mocking LGBJ in the middle of the Vietnam War. There you see it. That's LGBJ on the left. And this is LBJ, the picture from which that caricature was drawn. That was exactly what he was doing here with Benjamin Netanyahu, and yet he got fired. I guess they found anti-Semitism in this tweet. No more debate, no more engagement. Instead, everybody gets fired. Here is a person who went to a pro-Palestinian protest. There you see in the background signs like justice for Justice for Solidarity, he worked for Air Canada. Not a top-level executive, just someone who worked for Air Canada. And there's this account, Stop Anti-Semitism. This is what they do. They're, they're like the media matters, but for the pro-Israel crowd. They go on a hunt for obscure citizens who express views that are considered offensive to mainstream sensibilities, and then they try and get them fired. So here he is. They... Pointed, he's pointing to a sign saying, Israel, Hitler is proud of you. Pretty harsh rhetoric. 
But people are comparing every one of America's enemies to Hitler all the time. And it's basically saying by devaluing Palestinian life and all those videos we just showed you and by killing huge numbers of Israelis, of Palestinians rather, you're acting like Adolf Hitler. And Stop Anti-Semitism dragged him out of the shadows, published his name, tagged Air Canada, his employer, and then lo and behold, update from Air Canada. They're so proud of themselves. We are aware of the unacceptable post made by an Air Canada pilot. We are taking this matter very seriously, and he was taken out of service on Monday, October 9th. We firmly, we firmly denounce violence in all forms. Except he wasn't engaged in violence. He was engaged in a peaceful protest, which now that it's Israel is no longer allowed. Here from Campus Reform, another person who got fired, quote, a black radical professor who called Hamas killings exhilarating, now on leave from Cornell. I think you should be fired, stated Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I was exhilarated, Rickford said of the attacks. Now, this is one of the very few examples, one of the very few of all these firings where someone actually seems to have in some way praised Hamas. That's the overall majority of cases are not this. Here's what he said, quote, on October 17th, campus reform covered a video of Rickford describing Hamas's attack on Israel as, quote, exhilarating and energizing. Quote, it was energizing. And if it weren't exhilarating, and if it, and if it weren't exhilarating by this challenge to the monopoly of violence, by the shifting of the balance of power, then they would not be human. I was exhilarated, Rickford has said in the video. Rickford's statement soon drew criticism from the Cornell community and the public, which is fine. Criticism is what Barry Weiss said we need to do more of, not firing. Quote, this is a reprehensible comment that demonstrates no regard whatsoever for humanity. University President Arthur Pollack said in an October 17th statement, quote, any members of our community who have been made, who have made such statements do not speak for Cornell. In fact, they speak in direct opposition to all we stand for at Cornell. In addition to Pollack, multiple others, including New York Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, condemn Rickford's statements, quote, as a person of authority at an educational institution to celebrate rape, murder, abducting children, and slaughtering children, I think he should be fired, Gillibrand said. There's certainly no space for pro-Hamas protesters. Quote, that is someone who is supporting death, destruction, rape, murder, and slaughtering of children and families and seniors. Okay, so that's one example. It's notable because... It's the only instance so far where someone who, of all these people who got fired, who actually supported Hamas, even though all criticism of Israel is now deemed pro-Hamas. But I would submit that for a university professor engaged in what is supposed to be academic freedom where all views are on the table. We interviewed Amy Wax, the professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania, who is essentially arguing all the time that black people are intellectually inferior. And when I asked her whether that was because of culture or opportunities or genetics, she said it's very possibly due to genetics. And she's in the process of being fired and that's something that we denounced. Because I think that academic freedom is crucial. If there's any place where there needs to be a free and open exchange of ideas where no, nothing is off the table in terms of political views, it's at an academic institution. Noam Chomsky in the late 1980s, defended the academic freedom rights of a history professor at a French university who was in the process of being fired because he was questioning and even denying parts of the Holocaust. And Noam Chomsky said, academic freedom is the one place where you don't allow limits. But a 
again, that's the exception that proves the rule because so few of these are actually supporting Hamas, even though, once again, being pro-Hamas, supporting Hamas, justifying what Hamas did is unquestionably within the First Amendment free speech rights. Here from a congresswoman, Claudia Tenney, and again, you see how many politicians are in the business now of dictating the limits of speech and calling for people to be fired, quote, since I sent a letter to Cornell President Martha Pollack demanding that Professor Russell Rickford resign for his anti-Semitic comments, he has taken a leave of absence. Cornell must take this as a step further and fire him for his pro-Hamas comments. Here from the Geltwick Gateway Pundit, October 22nd, 2023, and we fact-checked this report in case you're going to get all excited about citing the Gateway Pundit. The attorney for Illinois Comptroller's Office fired over anti-Semitic rants on social media. Here's another person who got fired, an attorney for the Illinois Comptroller's Office. Quote, an attorney who works for the Illinois State Comptroller's Office was fired for anti-Semitic rants on social media. The attorney, Sarah Chowdhury, sent private messages to an Instagram account named Big Law Boys. The account was run by a Jewish lawyer who posts memes. She had written some very cruel statements, including Hitler should have eradicated all of you. Another statement, hopefully someone sends you anthrax or poison and you die a terrible slow death. Comptroller Susan Mendoza was informed of the incident on, on Thursday and contacted her the same day after she admitted to writing those statements. She was fired from her position. Here is a... Another person from the, again, Stop Anti-Semites account, which is the media matters of the pro-Israel wing. And here you see Raja Charibi, a realtor in Illinois, who was fired from her agency due to her anti-Semitic social media comments. These are all in the last two weeks. History proves Jews are never wanted anywhere. That was exactly what Jesse Waters said about Palestinians, by the way, because they are invaders and traitors. No wonder Germans killed and kicked them out, too. Here is a, a report on a doctor in New York City who was fired after celebrating the Hamas massacre. The Lenox Hill Hospital doctor claimed they were, quote, getting a taste of their own medicine. Dr. De- De- uh, that was about Israel. They were getting a taste of their own medicine. Dr. Diana Dieb, an emergency room physician at Lenox Hill Hospital, drew widespread backlash after posting an Instagram video celebrating the Gaza Music Festival attack. Quote, Zionist settlers getting a taste of their own medicine. The offensive post gained notoriety after being shared by Stop Anti-Semitism, a U.S. nonprofit organization, which issued a warning, Jewish patients beware. There you see her post, Jewish patients beware, Zionist settlers getting a taste of their own medicine. Here's another case, again, from Stop Anti-Semites. Maha Dakili Jackson, an agent with CAA, one of the largest Hollywood uh, agents, I think probably the largest firm, has resigned from its board after her Instagram post calling Israel's response to Hamas murdering babies, raping teens, and kidnapping the elderly is, quote, genocide. Stepping down from the board isn't enough. She needs to be let go. No defense of Hamas. She criticized Israel for what she said was genocide, for its apparent disregard of human life in Palestine, in Gaza. And she got punished within her firm, but this site wants her fired. Again, no praise of the Hamas massacre, simply saying that what Israel is doing in Gaza is a form of genocide. Here is uh, her, her tweet that already got her punished and now 
people are wanting to get her fired over. What's more heartbreaking than witnessing genocide? Witnessing the denial that genocide is happening. Should that be off limits to be an American citizen and criticize Israel for saying what I heard on Fox News was at least as bad, if not worse, at least as bad. I would say infinitely worse. Saying that there's no difference between any Palestinian, including a child and Hamas, and they should all just be treated the same. Here uh, is... Uh, a different person who I believe, this is the same person. She said, you're currently learning who supports genocide. So uh, here from the New York Times, the 92NY pulls an event with an acclaimed writer who criticized Israel. This is a major institution in New York where they have big events, literary events. They canceled it or postponed it because the writer, a Pulitzer Prize winning author, criticized Israel. The decision to call off an event with the Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist Viet Tan Nyang, drew criticism that the organization was stifling voices it disagreed with. 92NY, one of New York City's premier cultural venues, decided on Friday to abruptly pull an event that evening featuring the Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist after he signed an open letter critical of Israel, drawing criticism that the organization was stifling dissented voices. So that's not somebody who supported Hamas. That's somebody who criticized Israel. And in America, that's apparently not permitted, so his book event got canceled. Uh, Here from the London Review of, uh, let's go ahead and and skip this um, because I don't think it's totally the point. Here is the Toronto Star. York University demands that student union boards resign following Palestinian statement. York University is demanding executives of three student unions resign in response to their statement about the Israel-Hamas war. So here you have a university demanding that people resign because of what their state of their statement. York University is demanding the executive boards of three of its student unions resign in response to a joint statement that the unions made about the Israel. Hamas war. The university says non-compliance could result in sanctions, including the university no longer recognizing the unions in a Friday community update posted to the York University website. The university's post asked the three student unions to retract their October 12th statement titled Statement of Solidarity with Palestine and issue new statements, quote, to confirm that they do not endorse or support anti-Semitism or any form of discrimination or violence. On October 12th, York Federation of Students, New York University Graduate Student Association, and the Glendon College Student Union issued a statement in support with Palestinian people. Quote, recently, in a strong act of resistance, the Palestinian people tore down and crossed the illegitimate border fence erected by the settler colonial apartheid state, the so-called Israel, read, read the opening of the statement. Now, again, you might consider this extremist views or language that is offensive for describing what was done on October 7th, but it's no worse at all than what we showed you on Fox News. And the point is that when you compile this, what you see here is an attempt to ensure that people know that if they step up on social media or at a protest or signing a petition that is critical of Israel, They're very likely to be fired, to have public campaigns aimed at them, to be dragged out into the light, 
You notice that no one is being fired. Nobody is being, do you think anyone on Fox News is going to be fired for the things that they said that we started off the show by presenting you with? The idea that people in Palestine basically have no value to their lives, that any critics of Israel are pro-Hamas, that the people of Palestine don't deserve their own state, that we're done with Palestine and sick of the Palestinians. These are people that nobody wants for good reason. Whatever you think of all these statements I just showed you, what's on Fox News day after day after day, and not just in Fox News, but in huge numbers of venues across the United States, which again is overwhelmingly pro-Israel. These views are marginalized and fringe already. Do you think anyone at Fox News or anywhere is going to lose their job for saying anything negative about the Palestinians? We showed you those videos of people at the pro-Israel protests saying flat in Gaza, they have no right to live anymore. I want them all gone and dead, flat in Gaza. Did any of those people get dragged out into the light, have their names spread all over social media and be called on to be fired? Of course not. Of course not. This is just like after 9-11, an attempt to squash and cleanse American discourse of all dissent on one side of the conflict but not the other. This is pernicious. And there are statements here that I don't agree with, ones that I even found offensive, not just the Fox News ones, but also the ones about Hamas and what they did. But I would oppose... Jesse Waters firing, I would oppose the firing of Jadine Pirro because that's what they're there to do. They're there to express their opinions. And when they say things that are nauseating, I think people like me have the right to go and say that as I did. But to create a culture in which all dissent is labeled pro-terrorist or pro-Hamas, in which people are losing their jobs in large numbers, we're having pressure campaigns geared toward them, is incredibly dangerous just as a concept, but when it comes to a new war, a new war that the United States is increasingly becoming involved in, where the risk of regional conflict is more and more likely every day, when you need open discourse, go read what Barry Weiss said in 2021, how the major problem with the United States, the way we got here is we no longer engage dissent, we instead punish it and try and ruin the lives of people who express it. She was right then. I wish she would follow that advice now because what we need more than anything now is a free and open debate about whether the United States should be taking on this war as its own, whether or not what the, United, what the Israelis are doing with American support in Gaza can be reconciled with basic concept of humanitarianism and war crimes and crimes against humanity and the laws of war. And the fact that Hamas did worse doesn't justify it. Just like the fact that Al-Qaeda flew planes into buildings didn't justify everything the United States did after 9-11. But what is genuinely enraging me, and I admit enraging is a strong word, I don't usually react so strongly to events that I cover or political debates to which I pay attention because you have to kind of have a detachment from it on some level, is watching these people on the right who made such a flamboyant showing of glorifying themselves as these noble warriors for free speech, as people who hate human weakness and who mock the idea that 
minority groups feel threatened and intimidated when they hear views that make them uncomfortable and have to be protected from it, turn around and do exactly that, which they have spent years denouncing. Because now there's an issue that they care about, the one they care about most, many of them, which notably is not one involved in the United States, but one that involves Israel. And you can just see that in the discourse. So it has to be an equal application of principles. Either people who go on the air and talk about Palestinian lives as worthless and who call for the destruction of Gaza should lose their job, should be stigmatized, should be put on no higher list, or, and that's not happening, or we should encourage a free and open debate because we know from history that that's the only way to ensure that we don't end up embracing self-destructive and morally shameful policies because people are too afraid to speak up. And the climate that's being created now is such that people are going to be afraid to speak up if they're rational because they're watching the power of almost every major American media and political institution come crashing down on their heads for one of the gravest crimes that exists in the United States, which is the crime of criticizing the foreign government in Israel. So that concludes our show for this evening. As a reminder, System Update is also available in podcast version where you can listen to each program 12 hours after their first broadcast live here on Rumble. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, and all other major podcasting platforms. And if you follow and rate and review the program, it really helps spread the visibility of the show. Since it's Tuesday night, every Tuesday and Thursday night, once we're done with our show here on Rumble, we will now move to Locals, which is part of the Rumble platform, where we have our live interactive after show, where we take your comments and your feedback and your critiques and hear your suggestions for future shows. That show is available to subscribers only to our Locals community to join our Locals community, which also gives you access to the daily transcripts we post and the original journalism we publish. And it really helps support the independent journalism that we're trying to do here. Simply click the join button right below the video player on the Rumble page and it will take you to the Locals community. For those of you who've been watching this show and continuing to make it a success, we are very appreciative. We hope to see you back tomorrow night and every night at 7 p.m. Eastern exclusively here on Rumble. Have a great evening, everybody. Thank you.